in the pizza segment more than any sales skyrocketed so do we have the staff and team to uh in place to take care of how do we take care of our team how do we keep them safe how do we protect them from uh the coronavirus and so on how do we motivate them uh so uh they were working long hours hard hours so what can we do for them during the pandemic and that was huge Welcome back to the podcast, Rockstars. My guest today has literally been involved in building 1,500 restaurants across the U.S. and abroad. His work includes stints with Domino's, Papa Murphy's, and Smoothie King, as well as others. He'll be telling us the true foundational elements of restaurant success, his best advice to operators right now, as well as the labor crisis, rising costs, supply chain issues, everything affecting us right this moment. Don't miss this episode. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Imagine both your front and back of house teams are so well trained that they're executing flawlessly. Your front of house is doubling your sales, boosting repeat business, and creating five-star dining experiences, while your back of house is consistently preparing each dish to perfection, on time, and to spec. Having a restaurant this dialed takes a unique training system. That's where Serve comes in. Serve means study restaurant variety, and it is a powerful mobile training system, custom-built to meet the needs of your restaurant. Serve will up-level your team's knowledge and skills, maximize your profits and create experiences guests will rave about serve is the key to unlocking your restaurant's hidden potential and will prove that the more your team is able to learn the more your restaurant will earn it's serve and it's a game changer ready to serve get started at servenow.com Restaurant owners and managers, I call this the business of a thousand details, and you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up, and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. With me today, Mr. Kevin King. He is the president of Donato's Pizza. He's got a long hospitality career. We're going to talk all about that. Donato's is a 58-year-old brand with 240-plus locations. Clearly, it's a powerhouse, but it's not just about pizza. It's about subs and salads. It's about um, salads and desserts and a whole lot of good times for guests. So welcome to the show, Kevin. How are you today? 
I'm doing great, Roger. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you. We can learn so much from you because your experience is so extensive. But let's start where it all began for you. Take us back to the beginning and tell us how you first discovered the restaurant business. Sure, Roger. You know, it's it's strange. I think there's so many of us in this business that are like this. My first job in uh, I was in high school. I worked in a local pizza shop in Columbus, Ohio, called Tony's Villa. I started there just before my 15th birthday, and I actually worked for that same uh, company until I graduated from college. So uh, I did go away from college, but if I needed to come home for the weekend and work, uh, I was able to do that. So, uh, you know, I I did everything in that restaurant from washing dishes to waiting tables to uh, even managing um, that restaurant uh, whenever I was around. So. Uh, it was a great way. It kind of exposed me to the business. I, I went to college. I thought that would be the end of it. Um, I graduated from college and went to work for Domino's Pizza um, in, in the 80s. Um, and uh, I don't know how the pizza thing stuck with me, but it, it really did. I spent uh, about five years at Domino's. It was a fantastic time. I was young and mobile and moved around a lot, but I got exposed to a lot too. So um, that was great. Um, and uh, I came back to Donato's uh, after my after my Domino's career. I came to Donato's. I came back to Columbus. And um, Donato's was a small regional chain, had 25 stores at the time, all in Columbus. Uh, and I was a part of uh, its growth. I, I worked on our initial franchising program. Uh, and was with Donato's all the way to 2003, and it was a it was a tremendous run uh, and a great ride. We built um, about 200 stores in that period of time. Uh, we went through uh, the acquisition with McDonald's and some uh, growth there. Uh, learned a lot. Learned a lot about leadership. A lot about values. Donato's is a very valued or values-based organization. We'll talk about that in a bit and what influence that had on my career. But um, it was it was a great time. But that's when I really got into um, both operations, which I'd been in in Domino's, but in restaurant development, franchising, and what that was like. Um, you know, I was uh, left Donato's in 2003 and said, I've had enough of the pizza thing, I thought. Uh, and I went to Chase, the bank, and what worked in reach, retail branch development, so building new bank branches. Um, I liked it, and I learned a lot, and I met some great people, but I missed the pace of the restaurant business. Um, it, it's one of those things that, that uh, until you've really worked in it and known and you get used to that pace, you don't really, you don't really leave it. Um, I went to, I left Chase and went to Papa Murphy's um, as a senior VP of development. And later the, I was both a senior VP of ops at one point and the chief development officer. Um, and that was also a great experience. It was my first time working in a private equity environment and understanding what those nuances were. Um, and part of a great expansion program. While I was there, we built over a thousand stores. Uh, across the country um, and experienced a different brand, a different part of the country. Um, and I was still young and impressionable and learning what's really important in my own leadership style. And so there was a lot of that there. 
I left uh, Papa Murphy's in 2006 and went to Smoothie King. And Smoothie King was another great brand. It is a great brand. Uh, it has a tremendous uh, leader, a guy named Juan Kim. And it's also a very values-based organization, very focused on its mission and its vision. Uh, and I knew that was super important to me in my leadership style at the time. Uh, I spent uh, five and a half years there. It was a, it was a great, great time. Uh, but then last fall, um, Tom Krause and Jane Abel, the CEO and the chairman, reached out to me about coming back to Donato's as the president. And uh, I was excited about the opportunity and I needed to be because I really loved my time at Smoothie King. So it was a tough decision for me. But this is a great organization and a great family-based, uh, values-based organization with a tremendous growth opportunity ahead of it. So I'm super excited to be back at Donato's and uh, excited about what the future is going to be. Well, you have had and are continuing to have an illustrious career by anyone's standards. And clearly restaurants and hospitality are in your blood, but some would say pizza as well. You've got a certain soft <laughs> spot in your heart for pizza. And I would say the same. You know, I, I started my first pizzeria. It was a wood-fired um, oven concept. And that's that was in my blood for 20 plus years before I sold it. So I get it. You know, it's there's such a history there and it's such a solid concept. But again, let's let's talk about your experiences in building these restaurants. Now, a thousand plus restaurants, you were right in the middle of growing these, you know, different locations. What was a typical day in a month like in your life back then? You must have traveled quite a bit. You were working hands, you know, hands-on with um, franchisers, franchisees, I should say, getting the concepts off the ground, but you had a bigger picture role, I'm sure. So could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what a typical day or month might have been like back then? Yeah, it, it's hard to describe a typical day because yeah. I, I don't know that They're there all was different. a typical day. But, yeah. uh, you know, I spent a lot of my time uh, in both at uh, Papa Murphy's and at Smoothie King on the recruitment side. Uh, oh. The lifeblood of growth is uh, attracting great franchisees and franchise partners and uh, getting them excited about that. So I spent a lot of time on that piece, um, but not only just uh, who we were going to grow with, but where. Uh, so what markets were our focus? Um, where in those markets? Where are we going to be successful? Where do we have everything working for us? So I spent a lot of time on that. The real estate side comes into play. Yes, um, Restaurants are, are about location. You have to be uh, where the guest is in order to be successful. Um, and, you know, I spent a little less time on the construction side, but what what are we building? Is that attracting uh, guests? Is it fulfilling our mission? Whatever that is for that brand and, uh, and that piece. But over the course of my career, I've spent a tremendous amount of time on the franchise recruitment side because you got to get the right people. Um, and if you have the right people, the rest gets pretty easy um, if the brand has the right economics. So uh, that's the other piece, you know, in, in my role I've spent time on is, is what are what are those brands economics and how is that attractive to a potential franchise partner? And what do you need to do to, to kind of show them that path and and help them along the way? Um, it It can be incredibly rewarding. Uh, to put someone into business and watch them grow and be successful. 
um, where they've really achieved their life's goals and ambitions uh, through that connection you made with them. So that that does give you a huge amount of satisfaction um, is watching people do that. And I, I've been able to see that so many times. It's, uh, it's really, it, that's one of the most rewarding parts of the job. Now, all the concepts were different in the way they approached their franchise model. But would you say that, um, you know, there's obviously there has to be a certain stringent sort of a, you know, evaluation process of potential franchisees. And what type of experience are you looking for now versus then? And do people need to have more hospitality or restaurant experience, a certain amount, a couple of years? Uh, are you looking at, you know, people who used to be restaurant managers that now can get the funding to take on a franchise and grow to the next level? What, what do you specifically look for? Well, first you look for their energy and their drive and their reason why. Um, I think that's so important because the restaurant business, it may not be hard, but it always takes effort. Uh, so building a new brand in a new market takes a lot of effort and the the franchisee needs to be up for it, needs to be excited about it, needs to love what they're doing. And that's, you know, a lot of people in your career tell you, do what you love. And I would say in franchising, it's so important because you can separate real quickly the person who's just making an investment from somebody who loves the brand. And those people who love the brand, they're going to be way more successful typically than a person who's just looking for an investment because because the restaurant business is hard. Um, you know, if you think about pizza, um, putting another pizza shop in a trade area, you're never the first. Um, so people are getting pizza from somewhere else. So you've got to steal share. And so you're, you're looking for people who are going to be able to do that. Um, the second part is, I, I think people who are active in their business uh, or have an operating partner who's uh, going to take that ownership is vital to the success. So you look for that quality. Who's going to run the business? Are they cut out for it? Do they have the skills and the abilities and the talents that they're going to need? And then I think the third thing that's um, super critical is, are they properly capitalized? Uh, do they have enough money? Are they going to borrow the right amount of money uh, so that they don't overly burden the business, but have plenty of capital in order to get it done? So you, you look for that drive and motivation. You, you look for the uh, the hands-on person who's going to run the business day-to-day and do they have the right capitalization or do they have the right capital and equity to, to do it. Those those are the three main things that I look for in the people. Um, and then the overarching thing that's true about all of it is, do their values share, do they share values with the organization? You know, it, it is what's important to them important to the company? Um, and it needs to be in order for them to be happy long-term. So um, that that's in a nutshell what I look for in people when you're evaluating whether they're a good fit for the brand or not. Not answering your phone is one of the quickest ways for your restaurant to lose a potential customer. But between serving in-person customers and dealing with the kitchen, it's hard for staff to prioritize incoming calls. That's why your restaurant needs pop menu answering. Simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can be handled without pulling a staff person from your in-person hospitality. Reclaim the power of your phone. Pop Menu Answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call in with, like, do you have outdoor seating or what are your hours? Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. 
Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Plus, Pop Menu's full collection of tools helps optimize your restaurant's website and menu, streamlines your ordering experience, and assists in retargeting to enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Get help answering your restaurant's calls now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Let's talk about location. That came up a moment ago. And of course, you know, that old adage, location, location is everything. And it really is. But there's a big widespreading difference of space available today. And there's so much space available. I don't need to tell anyone that, you know, the pandemic has wiped out 100,000 plus restaurants. A lot of those were lease situations. And now there's a lot of space out there, some of which already have fit ups and and hoods and equipment and, and furniture and all that sort of thing. And it's probably the easiest and less expensive time to you know, to get into this business right now, as opposed to having a lot more need for capital when you know, these spaces have all this stuff. Um, are you finding that opportunity? And yes, if, if that's I would the case. say to a, to a lesser extent, because as you said, location is so important. Yep. And if you think about the real estate world today, the best locations have tenants in them. So, you know, the first restaurants that fail, you know, they fail for a lot of reasons. The, the restaurants that failed because they were undercapitalized, didn't have the right operator, but they had a great location. Those get backfilled really quickly. Mm-hmm. And yes, those are, those are attractive opportunities. And there are some of them, but there's a lot of restaurants that really failed because they weren't in the right location. And those, those opportunities we want to pass on, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, for a Donato's today, we want you know a location that matches the image of our brand, which we sell uh, abundantly topped, high quality pizzas. So we want to be in a trade area or a shopping center that matches that uh, description. Um, so I wouldn't say we're finding great locations more readily. There's a lot of bad locations available today, uh, but great locations are still super competitive. How long does it take to build out a store once you identify a space? And, you know, obviously make it reflect the brand and you've done all the market research and the traffic counts and all the things that go into determining this is a great space. There's anchor tenants that are a draw. There's high traffic. There's high visibility. And then you, you know, you pull the trigger on a lease and then you say, okay, from start to finish, is it a three month process? Does it take longer, lesser than that to get it ready to open? Yeah, sure. There's a couple of key things in there is if, if you don't have to go through the planning or the zoning piece, yeah. The timeline's pretty, pretty regular, and I would say generally it's a six-month time frame timeline. You got to get your architecturals done. You got to get in for permit, and then you got to build it. Mm-hmm. Typical restaurant fit at fit at, fit out you're doing in around eighty days or less. Um, you know the big variable in there is how long is it going to take me to get a permit. Um, but I would generally say um, six months from signing the lease to getting open is a pretty good timeline. Um, if, if you don't have to go for zoning, if, if you go for zoning, you know, it, it depends upon where you are. It could be a year and a half. It could be two years. Hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that's the wild card in it. If you're building a freestanding building, 
you probably add 60 days to that timeline. So maybe closer to eight months uh, from uh, getting that lease executed until the cash register is ringing on the other end. Let's talk about getting a new franchisee up to speed in the operation. What type of training do you offer? At Donato's, uh, we have a pretty long, long training period. Uh, the biggest part of our, our training is really about uh, mastering the skills. Uh, they're not hard. I could teach you how to make a pizza in, you know, in, in about 20 minutes, but I can't teach you how to make it fast. Uh, our restaurants are, uh, we have a great operating system, but we're throwing a lot at you because we do, we do dine in, carry out. Um, we have a pickup window in a lot of our stores and delivery. So you have a lot of customer touch points in the restaurant. You're managing a pretty complex environment. Our average unit volume is over a million dollars, so we're doing some sales. Uh, so it's we really build an engine, and that engine you, you have to fine tune it as a as a manager or a franchise partner. So our training takes a little longer uh, than most people. We do about eight weeks of training on our store operations, and about uh, you know when we get down to your store opening, there's a good couple weeks that we're there with you. Um, and we're working on all those systems right now. Um, the operating system's easy to teach you how to make a pizza, but uh, there's a lot of complexity there. Um, the pizza business is super peak oriented. You're gonna do the bulk of your sales on Friday. You're gonna do that in a couple hour window. Uh, so that Friday rush is the most important period of the day and you gotta be ready for it. And um, so that's what we spend a lot of our time and training on. Yeah. And prep is so important to have enough, um, you know, and anticipate what the volume is going to be on any given day. I mean, there's so much, there's so many details that, that go into this. Let's talk about the elements of success. What makes Donato's stand apart from the competition? What do you think the elements are of true restaurant success and how do you maintain that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, 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 you know, I think about that a lot about what, what are we trying to replicate? Um, the first is, we got great people in, in our stores. We've got great franchise partners and it takes great people to run a great restaurant organization. So we're, we're very focused on our people and our teams. The second thing is huge is everyone loves our pizza. Um, you know, we put over a hundred pieces of pepperoni on a 14 inch large. I was looking um, at that. All of website. our pizzas are abundantly topped. We use yep. great ingredients. Um, our pepperoni pizzas, you know, I'd stack that up against anyone's, anywhere in the industry. So we have great food, great products that we can make consistently um, day in and day out. And then the the third leg of that is just that engine I just talked about is we, we have a high capacity, high volume pizza making system, unlike anybody else's in the industry. So we can pump out a lot of pizzas very consistently every time in every store. Uh, so, you know, our people, our product and our system are the three keys, uh, of, of success in a, in a, in a Donato's it's, uh, it's, it's really great. If you haven't had our pizza, you got to come to one of our markets. We're in, uh, 11 States now. So we're also have a partnership with Red Robin. We're in 200 Red Robin restaurants across the U S so you can get a Donato's pizza on the West coast now. Uh, California, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Connecticut, or uh, Colorado. 
Yeah. Uh, so we got a great presence across the whole country. So if you haven't had a Donato's pizza, you, you got to give it a try. And I'd start with a, a pepperoni. Yeah. You know, I, like I said, I, w- I was noticing, I was looking at all the pizzas on the websites and you're known for piled high toppings and edge to edge, you call it. With that said, have you had supply chain issues? We've all seen rising prices on product. Have you had to adjust prices significantly to sort of compensate for that? Sure. Great question. And really two parts, right? So supply chain has been super challenging. We've got a great team of people here who have been able to uh, keep our restaurants stocked for the most part. Uh, but I would tell you every week, it's a different it's a different item. Uh, so right now I'm drinking yeah. water out of a branded cup, but in a lot of our stores today, they're blank. Uh, you know, we got souffle cup issues. Um, I will say for our uh, stores, we haven't had any um, major product issues on our core items like pepperoni and our family recipe sausage or our uh, our thin crust dough and stuff like that. We've done really done really well on, but those smaller items in our stores, you, you'll see some product shortages. We're going through a lettuce issue right now. So, you know, if you're in one of our stores today and they say they're out of lettuce, bear with us, we're working on it. But so we've had tons of those issues, but we got a great team behind us uh, supporting us on the supply chain side. Pricing, wow, that's a different topic, but yes. Uh, labor, labor issues, uh, wage inflation um, has been a big barrier for us, uh, which has affected our ability, our pricing power uh, that we, you know, we definitely had to adjust prices based on that. And right now, uh, it, it, you know, we're really getting hit on all fronts. Um, you know, the price of uh, proteins have gone up dramatically. Chicken wings, um, pork products, for sure, have gone up. Uh, the war in the Ukraine. Who, who, who really thought about how much that would impact supply chain? But Russia and Ukraine is the second larger largest exporter of wheat, um, and obviously, you don't have. Uh, oh. Most of our pizzas without wheat, we do have a tremendous cauliflower crust, but uh, wheat is a huge part of it. For sure. And then, but they're also a huge grain supplier, and um, that that's going to impact impact the price of proteins. Uh, you know, cows eat grain to uh, generate milk, and then all the pork products that we use uh, are are definitely impacted. So we're seeing huge huge pressure, and then the price of fuel. Uh, so getting those products to our store is impacting pricing. So yes, that's been a major challenge for us. Uh, we've definitely had to adjust prices more than we like. Um, and I think the consumer has been pretty accepting of that so far. I know that's going to come to an end, uh, about their willingness to, to pay. And so we're trying to do everything we can to minimize cost without sacrificing that tremendous quality pizza that we make every day. But It's definitely impacted menu pricing. Get big flavor without the labor with Smokin' Fast from Smithfield. It's fully cooked or smoked proteins, including American barbecue staples and global flavors. Everything from ribs to pulled chicken to brisket and barbacoa, all are authentically slow cooked to perfection. It's so delicious your guests will never know it wasn't smoked right in your own kitchen. Now you can add barbecue to your menu without adding a pitmaster to your payroll. Visit smithfieldculinary.com. 
So the mark of great leadership and a really strong brand is how you react during crisis. And we all went through the pandemic two years ago, and obviously you had to react quickly, immediately implement a strategic plan, damage control, work with your franchisees to get through this, through the unknown when no one really knew from state to state and from minute to minute what was going to happen. Take us through that experience for you, because you were probably right in the front lines of that. Yeah, I was. I was. I spent most of the pandemic uh, at Smoothie King, and but the lessons are the same. And you, you really captured all of it. I think the key in um, the in pandemic re- reaction was uh, first of all assessing the challenge and the problem and creating solutions really quickly. So, what do we need to do? You know, I remember in the early days of the pandemic, it was all about getting restaurants open. It was about telling our guests that we were open and what what can we do to support our franchise partners out in the field to get their restaurants open. And and the same was true um, at Donato's too, learning what what they did. The second big thing was communication. Um, Everybody was scared. Everybody didn't know. So communicating with everybody regularly was a huge part of what we did uh, when I was at Smoothie King and what Donato's did for its partners here. Uh, more often than ever, franchise partners were relying on the company to give them information. What, what are we allowed to do? What do we have to do? Uh, what funds are available, PPP and all those other things. Of course. Uh, franchise partners were looking for guidance uh, more than they have ever in their career because things were changing so fast. So, uh, that communication was so important. Um, as the pandemic wore on, it was educating our guests about how we were service, servicing them. Uh, in the pizza segment, more than any, sales skyrocketed. Yes. So do we have the staff and team to uh, in place to take care of? How do we take care of our team? How do we keep them safe? How do we protect them from uh, the coronavirus and so on? And how do we motivate them? Uh, so... Uh, they were working long hours, hard hours. So what can we do for them during the pandemic? And that was huge. Um, so then, and then you get into the kind of the, are we going to live with this virus forever? And what do we have to do as the pandemic wore on and the, the peaks and the spikes? Uh, so uh, certainly in 2021, it became a staffing challenge. There was COVID fatigue. People are tired of wearing masks. Maybe I don't want to work here anymore. I'm overworked and I'm tired. So what what can we do to energize our teams, keep them excited, keep the store staffed was huge. Um, And what can we do to handle the business as it was coming at us? So uh, those were huge parts of what we're doing. And now is as we move into kind of a post pandemic, what do we do in our restaurants? How do we bring people back into dining rooms? How do we get stores back to regular hours? How do we take down the barriers that we've had between us and the guests for a while? So uh, it's it's really those same principles is quick evaluation of the situation that you're in and communication uh, to all the stakeholders, the guests, uh, the franchise partners, and our team members out in the field. So that th- those have been the keys uh, that I've seen through the pandemic. Uh, be nimble, uh, be smart, Uh, you know, you can be nimble and smart um, at the same time. So you can make quick decisions, but base it as much on the facts that you have. Dig deep into your business and know where where things are 
but those are the keys in the in this pandemic world we've been living in for the last couple of years. You know, I think restaurant technology, Kevin, has become more and more important during the pandemic. Things like online ordering have become essential. Everyone pivoted their model to curbside pickup and delivery, which you mentioned. What technology is critical to your operation today in each individual location? Wow. Uh, technology is a huge part today more than ever in running any restaurant in the pizza segment. Online ordering is enormous. Uh, so we're approaching 59% of our sales from our digital channel today, that's gonna be uh, in the middle 70s soon. So do we have the technology backbone and infrastructure to handle that? Do we have the right um, website and apps uh, to that attract and keep guests and customers? Uh, so we've been working on that at Donato's extensively. We, we a huge part of our investment in both time and money in 2022 is a, around our digital platform and what we're doing but technology has never been more important in that role and the guest gets higher and higher expectations because they get better and better uh, experiences and other brands and you certainly have to keep up so um you know i think the pizza segment has led the led the way in online ordering in the restaurant category uh you know domino's is really the gold standard for us to look at and what they've been able to do on their digital and online platform and how they've managed that delivery piece. So what can we learn from them? But what, what can we capitalize on our own brand and our own uh, image that we need to portray in our in our online environment? Uh, so that that's an enormous piece. But even beyond that, there's loyalty, uh, there's tracking our guest behavior and what can we learn from them? How do we reward those who are super loyal to us? How do we attract new guests and how do we influence them on what they buy and how often? So uh, if I look at, you know, the number one priority for us, it's our digital experience with our guests. Um, it's how that translates into our store environment. And then what can we do to reward and keep our guests and then the, the other part, what I'll call technology and innovation, is the role that third-party delivery companies have played. Uh, what role DoorDash and Uber Eats and how they've really changed the model in the restaurant business. Restaurants that never thought of delivery before are now able to do it and do it well. So we got increased competition. And I think one of the important parts for us to figure out is what role do they play in our, in our system? How can we capitalize on it? And, and how can we embrace them? Uh, because they're a force in the restaurant business like never before. And I, you know, the pandemic uh, was a curve jump for those players in the business. And um, and I don't think it's going to go away. I think so many customers value convenience, and uh, to them, that's what DoorDash, and Uber Eats, Grubhub um, are all about. So we got to embrace them. We got to we got to bring them into our system. We got to figure out how we take our great delivery operation that we have today and use DoorDash or Uber Eats to make it even better. And that's what we're working on. I was going to ask you if you had your in-store delivery or if you use third-party delivery. So you've answered that question for me. <laughs> Let's talk about at the store level. I, I asked you earlier what the training was like for a new franchisee and how they get up to speed and running their store. Now they're running their store and they need to onboard their own people. Is there a sort of template they follow? And what is the training program like to develop, you know, to develop the certain mission that you have for the company to deliver the best guest experience possible? 
courtesy is part of it. Service is certainly a big part of it. And then product knowledge, of course, you know, knowing the menu sure. inside and out, knowing what makes Donato special and just imparting that on a customer as if they were a regular customer, even if they're a first-time visitor. It's like that guest interaction is so pivotal to our business. For sure. And you know, that's that's one of the big advantages of joining a franchise system is if you're starting your own restaurant, you're creating every bit of training and every program from scratch. And and frankly, creating great training programs, not all of our uh, core uh, core competency. Uh, so at Donato's, training is a huge part of it. We have a great operating system, but we got to show you how to take advantage of it. Uh, making a pizza is not the complicated part, doing it quickly. Uh, but in a complex restaurant operation, there's so much at coming at you that you got to do it well. We have, we have really good training programs and we're constantly improving those programs. Um, you know, today's restaurant worker is going to learn mostly on a tablet or uh, on a computer in the restaurant with some hands-on training too. Um, and that onboarding experience of a new associate is so important on whether they stay with you. Um, and we see it in our restaurants across the board. Those who onboard great have low turnover and those who don't is there's constant churn. And, and we got to work with them uh, to make that onboarding experience just fantastic for that new associate on our team. So we're investing a lot of time in selection of who we pick and why, but what their onboarding experience is like and how we get them trained, how we bring them into our family, how we make them feel comfortable. Those are the keys to whether or not people stay. Uh, and, and people stay, it, it, it's a old old phrase, but people don't quit jobs, they quit people. Uh, right. You know, so you got to give them that, that you got to embrace them right from the minute they walk in the door and make them feel comfortable. And a lot of that's about giving them great training. So we do some hands-on, of course, we got charts and uh, uh, checklists and all those things and, and great videos. But the key is making that human connection with people because that's the reason they're going to stay or leave. Of course. What's your best advice to operators that are still open? They've been through the pandemic. Now they're just struggling with the labor crisis. Everyone's been beaten up badly. Their staff are overworked. Some restaurants have to shut down certain days, close hours because they just can't staff up when business is literally booming again. It's got to be incredibly discouraging. I know that from my own experience because after selling numerous restaurants years ago, I got back into the business just before the pandemic. And then I went through all the challenges that everyone's gone through. And I was fortunate enough to sell my operation a few months ago. And now I'm out of the restaurant business, but I understand it. And, you know, these are unprecedented times. And there is a light at the end of the horizon, and you just got to dig deep. But what would you say to operators that, um, you know, what, what would you say would be your best advice to those? This, this is uh, so, it's an old, another old adage, but yeah. it's, uh, I've heard it a lot recently from our CEO, Tom Krause. And you have to step back and work on the business rather than work in the business right now, sure. because you got to come up with a solution. So, if staffing is your challenge, how are you going to get staffed? And when you're working in the business day in and day out, you might make a decision that, hey, I'm just going to close. But you're so exhausted that closing a day or opening late or closing early or those things, they're not going to solve the problem because you got you to identify the underlying cause of what's 
causing your staffing challenge right now. And, and so my advice is uh, step out a little bit to work on the business rather than that um, day-to-day. I don't know who's going to open today and I don't know who's going to close today. So I'm just going to muddle through it. So um, think about what your your true challenge is. And I think this one's hard for operators is the uh, the associate's expectation on pay has changed. And we have to get over that. And you have to pay that wage that's competitive. Uh, and then once you're paying a competitive wage and you're getting the application flow, then you've got to really work on the onboarding. Um, and you got to be realistic. You can tell them, hey, the next couple of weeks are going to be tough, but I guarantee you we're going to get through this together. You, you got to give them the hope and you got, you got to do that. So uh, don't be so focused on that day-to-day operation that you're not addressing the underlying issue in it. So that's the first part. And the second is um, be realistic about what you need to pay people today because the expectation has changed. Um, and that, that's hard for me. You, you know, when I first heard people talking about $15 an hour minimum wage, it was easy just to say, oh, that's ridiculous. And that's not going to happen. But we've gone on probably five years, maybe longer, where that's the mantra, $15 an hour minimum wage, minimum wage, minimum wage. And no matter what the federal minimum wage is, you can't find people at $7.25 an hour today. So um, you got to you got to realize what that pay needs to be. And you got to get yourself there, however that's going to be. And it's hard. I I mean, because you're like, well, they're not worth it. Well, um, I, I've heard people say that. But the reality is, is the, the world's changed fast. You know, the, the greatest thing about the Internet is what it's done for how fast we can change, uh, how fast we get improvements in our business. But that information flows exponentially quicker today. And so that that's how I look at the wage inflation is the team members expectation is just higher today. You know, consistency is, is super important in a single location as well as in 240 locations. And, you know, that movie, The Founder, comes to mind, which sort of tells the story of Ray Kroc and McDonald's. And one of the funniest parts of the movie is when, you know, he's got some new franchisees running and they're trying to sell chicken out of the burger place. And I think he just about goes bananas when that happens. But, you know, people sometimes think they have a better idea, a better way of doing things. And a franchisor's main role is to maintain consistency and not deviate from the formula that works, that they've spent years and years proving in the field. Some franchises will allow certain flexibility and you know new ideas are open and some aren't. Where do you stand on that issue? And tell us how you maintain that consistency across 240 locations. Yeah. So that that's a great, great point. And it really dives into the what a franchise model is all about. Um, first of all, we have a core operating system that if you implement it, you're going to make great pizza. And when you make great pizzas, you're going to be able to sell it and charge a little bit of a premium price for it. And so we try to stick super close to that. And that's where we direct our partners' energies to is you're not, we're not going to all of a sudden pepperoni is, um, you know, went up 20%. So let's cut back on the pepperoni on a pizza. That's not going to happen in our system. Uh, we're not going to allow that. And those are the guardrails that I think you're talking about with Ray yes. Kroc and, uh-huh. and franchise systems are really important. The second part of a successful franchise system is 
still encouraging innovation and listening, those two pieces. So we we still want and value franchise partner innovation. What are your ideas? We just want to put guardrails around it. So what are you allowed to do on your own? What do we need to suggest? What do we need to test? And making that super clear. Um, but every successful franchise system listens to their franchise partners. And if you don't, you're not going to run a successful system for long because good operators are going to leave. Um, so we have to listen to you. We have to involve you in the decisions that we make. Um, but we also owe it to you to keep a consistent path uh, so that we don't mess up our formula for success. So there's a fine balance. You know, a franchise system doesn't succeed when it lets every franchise partner do whatever they want. Of course. But a franchise a franchise system also doesn't succeed if they think they have all the answers because um you know what the why do why do companies franchise uh they franchise primarily because they want to accelerate growth by using other people's money but also other people's people. And if you forget that second part there's a lot of ways to get money in today's uh, world, uh, but that's not why you franchise. You don't franchise because you want other people's money, because you can get money other ways. You franchise because you want to leverage other people's people, and that you have to remember that. So you have to communicate, you have to listen, uh, and you have to involve them. So those, those are keys for us as we move forward. Uh, they're keys for any franchise system. That's beautiful advice. And that is the foundation of any successful restaurant right there. Well, Kevin, I can't thank you enough for being a great guest on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, Roger, I, I enjoyed it. And again, if you haven't been to Donato's, uh, whether you're a listener or, or for you, Roger, please give us a try. Let me know what you think. Love to hear it. Well, I'm a huge pizza fan, as you know, so I'm going to try and do just that. Well, that was thanks, Roger. Thank you so much. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We'll see everyone in the next episode. Stay well. Thanks again, Kevin, for sharing your inspiring insights and experience with us on the podcast. If you haven't already, why not head over to restaurantrockstars.com? I'm giving away three ways you're killing your restaurant profits. It's more important now than ever that you maximize every single sale and most importantly, maximize profit on every sale in your restaurant. So go check that out. It's free. I'd like to thank the sponsors of this week's episode, Pop Menu, Smithfield Culinary, Devo, and Serve. Thanks again for our audience for tuning in. We'll see you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.